Good morning. It is so good to be here. Uh, thank you for being here uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for inviting uh, myself and my wife, uh, Sarah. It is an absolute joy uh, to be with you this morning. Thank you for, uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's a holiday weekend. And uh, I know some of you have been traveling. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, with your family. I hope you had time to uh, uh, just express to God how grateful uh, you are for his, his blessings. I know we did. We had a wonderful time uh, with Sarah's family uh, in Detroit, and I have looked forward uh, to spending this weekend with you. Before we jump in, I would love to pray for us. I just want to thank God for this time, and I want to ask Him uh, to guide us uh, as we open His Word. So if you would, bow with me, and uh, let's pray. Father God, uh, it is an absolute privilege to gather with your people at Memorial Baptist uh, this morning. Thank you so much uh, for bringing us together. Uh, thank you for the privilege of opening your word. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would open our, our minds, our souls, our spirits. Uh, may we have ears to hear what it is uh, that you want to teach us this morning. And uh, may we indeed, uh, as Eric said, may we walk out of here uh, more obedient and more anxious to obey what you have taught us. We ask all this because you are a gracious, good, very kind, and loving God. Amen. As we uh, start our time this morning, I want to ask you uh, to think of the last time when someone gave you an unexpected gift. Christmas doesn't count, and your birthday doesn't count. When was the last time that you were cruising through your week, or you were cruising through your day, and somebody gave you a gift that you were not expecting? Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was, it was a Monday or a Tuesday morning, I can't recall uh, which one, uh, but I was uh, heading off to a local coffee shop to do some study. Now, this particular morning had not been a good morning. Uh, I woke up not feeling well. Uh, it was very difficult to get my kids up and out the door for school. And this was just one of those mornings when I wasn't real interested in studying. I had so many other things I would rather have been doing on that particular day. But I attempted to, to pull my day around. I headed out the door. I dropped my kids off at school. And to one of my favorite spots, a local coffee shop, where I do some study. And so I set up my stuff, and I, I head to the line, and I, I cannot get the person's attention behind the counter. I just want to get my cup of coffee. And she's busy doing something, and so I'm standing there, and while I'm standing there, this very energetic family walks in behind me. Now, they walk in with a young girl, and this young girl made it her mission to let the entire coffee shop know how excited she was about the cinnamon roll that she was about to, about to eat. And she wanted me to be excited along with her. So she goes up to the glass, she's pointing at the cinnamon roll, and she's looking at me for an affirming smile. And on this particular morning, I know that I am my own best company. I've got a five-foot personal space radius around me, and she is absolutely violating it at this point. So she keeps pointing at it, and I kind of sheepishly smile at her, and then I look over at the dad thinking, hey, dad, can you, can you corral your, your daughter? And he wouldn't, so he just, he just smiled right back at me. Finally, the woman behind the counter rescues me, and she says, how can I help you? And I say, I would just love to have a cup of coffee, and I go to pay for my coffee, and the dad walks right up behind me, and he says, oh, no, 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 his money's no good here. 
put his coffee on my account. And I was speechless. This kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. So I turn around, and as I'm fumbling for words, I look at him and I say, do we know each other? You know, have we met before? And he says, no, I just want to buy you a cup of coffee. Again, this doesn't happen to me. And after the way that I had treated his family when they walked in, I really wasn't expecting this uh, to happen. But I managed to fumble. Uh, finally, I fumbled a response to him, and I just said, thank you. Thank you so much. You have no idea what you've done for me today. And he's looking at me like, it's just a cup of coffee. But he has no idea how my day started. And that's the thing about unexpected gifts. Unexpected gifts have a way of restoring I went back to my table, ready to jump into my studies, and it changed the whole trajectory of my day. And that's what unexpected gifts do. That's what gifts that surprise us do. They have a way of restoring hope, of restoring joy. Now, you've been in a series together on the book of of Philippians, and I have the privilege of continuing that series today. And as we meet back up with Paul... Paul has received an unexpected gift. A guy by the name of Epaphroditus had brought a gift to Paul. And I brought a map with me. Uh, Epaphroditus travels from the city of Philippi. And to kind of orient our minds uh, around where where Philippi is, there's a map here, uh, somewhere in there. There it is. And uh, this just kind of orients us with where, where Paul is. It's the region of Macedonia, or excuse me, where uh, Epaphroditus is traveling from. He brings a gift from the church at Philippi. This gift has an overwhelming impact on Paul. Paul responds with deep joy at the gift that Epaphroditus has brought. Epaphroditus almost dies getting to Paul. And Paul expresses uh, extreme joy at having received this gift. Paul is so joyful that he writes a letter back to the Philippians to thank them. But this letter is not just a thank you. This letter is an opportunity to affirm growth that is happening in their church, and it's an opportunity to instruct. And that's where we pick up the text today. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be spending uh, our time there, and we'll be in verse 10. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, please, uh, please open there and follow along with us. Uh, I didn't want to assume that all of us are familiar with the Bible. I didn't want to assume that all of us are familiar with, with being in church. So I brought another slide with me to kind of help us locate Philippians. If you're new to the Bible, uh, there's two Testaments in our Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And Philippians is found in our New Testament uh, right before Colossians and just after Ephesians, about in the middle And so if you need a little bit of help, uh, there's a slide uh, to help us locate. Philippians uh, is in the red lettering there. But that's where we're going to be spending our time today, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, starting in in, uh, verse 10. And Paul says this, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Now, immediately, we hear Paul express great joy to the Philippians. He is so glad to hear from them. He is so thankful to hear from them. So thankful that he says, 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord, having heard from you. It is such a joy to hear from you. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says something very important here, and I don't know if you caught it, but he says uh, in verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then as to explain and emphasize his point, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. This statement should stun us. Does anybody know, does anybody remember where Paul is when he writes this? He's in prison. He's in jail. He is in chains for teaching the gospel. Paul is in prison for teaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be in a Roman prison. Uh, I brought some pictures with me. Uh, Before I jump into this, we don't know exactly where Paul is. Uh, We know that Epaphroditus was traveling from Philippi, but we don't know exactly where he's traveling to see Paul. Uh, Scholars have several ideas about where Paul might be, but it's it's speculation because we're not not exactly sure. But we do know that Paul is in a Roman prison. And here's some things we need to understand about what it's like to be a prisoner in Paul's day. If scholars have attempted to construct what it was like, uh, I have a picture here of what what a Roman prison, uh, what the outside might have looked like. Uh, The next picture shows uh, what the inside of a prison might have looked like. And what we're told is Paul is in chains. Now this meant, this could mean a few things. It means Paul probably, uh, being under Roman guard, had a Roman guard at his door. It might have meant that that Roman guard was actually in the cell with him. It might have even meant that Paul had a Roman guard chained to him. Which meant that Paul went to the bathroom when the Roman guard said he could. Paul ate when the Roman guard said it was okay to eat. This is the conditions under which Paul is in chains. There's great shame in being in prison. Uh, Paul probably would have been flogged before he was put in prison, which means he has open wounds. A Roman prison was like a blast furnace in the summertime. It was like a frigid freezer in the wintertime. Paul was probably under constant threat of physical assault from his, from his guard. Roman guards were not known for being gentle. Uh, Roman officials did not provide for the needs of their prisoners, which meant Paul was absolutely dependent on the generosity of his friends and uh, family to provide for his needs. This includes bathing needs, bedding needs, any medical needs, food, anything that Paul needed, it would have either have been his responsibility to purchase it or it would have been the responsibility of the gener- uh, through the generosity of his friends and family to help take care of it. How in the world is a man in Paul's situation able to write these words, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. How is a man suffering in chains like this able to express such strong statements of faith? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's the question I want us to travel through uh, this morning. How do we travel through difficult circumstances, suffering, uh, hardship, with joy and contentment. 
How do we travel through very difficult circumstances, hardship, and fall deeper in love with God, deeper in love with his character, and deeper in love with his ways? And how was Paul able to do that? Uh, Paul will say something absolutely stunning in the next sentence. We left off at uh, verse 12, the first part of verse 12, I said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And then Paul would finish that sentence, the last half of verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I want to stop Paul right there and ask him a question. Paul, please explain to me how you are able to be content in a situation like this. How are you able to express such confidence? How are you able to say, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can be content? And remember, he's in chains. He's in prison. And I think it boils down, if Paul were here to teach us today, he, would, he has a different understanding of contentment than maybe we do. And there were, there were competing ideas of what contentment was during Paul's day that became very popular in guys like Aristotle and the Stoics. Uh, Aristotle would say contentment equals possessing all things and needing nothing. Which for Aristotle meant, I can be content when I have everything I need, everything I want, and I don't need anything. The Stoics, a group of people, a group of philosophers, would develop this thought, and they would say contentment is complete self-sufficiency. For the Stoics, contentment meant, I have everything I need, and I don't need anything, and I think there's something very dark about this form of contentment. What the Stoics were saying is, I don't need friends, I don't need family, I don't need God. I am completely self-sufficient. And Paul had a far different understanding of what contentment was. Check this out. He actually shares what he understands contentment to be earlier in his letter. Back in Philippians chapter 1, he would say in verse 12, He would say, now I want to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Keep that thought in mind. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. For Paul, contentment equals the advancement of the gospel. Paul could endure hardship, difficult circumstances, suffering if the gospel was advancing. For Paul, he was content in knowing that the way of Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as long as that message was being taught and lived, he was content. And Paul suffered in such a way that he was actually an encouragement to those around him. We're told that the palace guards knew that he was in chains for the gospel. And I wonder if this changed how they treated him. We're told that uh, the gospel began to make inroads into the community, wherever Paul is, because he's in chains for the gospel. And then we're told something absolutely stunning. That as Paul is in chains, did you catch that last part? Uh, verse uh, 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord 
have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. This means that Paul suffered in such a way that he was encouraging his fellow Jesus followers to speak the word more courageously and more fearlessly. He was an encouragement to them. This means that Paul was no ordinary prisoner. He was suffering in such a way that people saw Jesus Christ through him. Now, I need to travel through the next few moments very carefully. Because I think Paul is doing something extremely profound here. Paul is teaching the church at Philippi how to suffer. And I think by extension, he's teaching you and I how to suffer. And the question for us this morning is, how do we suffer well? Suffering has a way of producing complaint. It has a way of producing bitterness, resentment. Suffering has a way of producing abandonment. So how do we, in the face of great hardship, continue to fall deeper in love with God and His ways? And let's be honest. None of us wants to suffer. If given the opportunity of suffering or not suffering, we would all choose the latter. We would all choose not to suffer. And yet, here's the thing about suffering. Either we're in a season of suffering, we're coming out of a season of suffering, or we're about to head in to a season of suffering. And the question is, how are we going to respond? We have a choice. Are we going to draw closer to God? Or are we going to let that season of suffering push us away? So let's talk a little bit about how this works. Uh, imagine... Uh, a man has just had his annual physical and he sits down with the doctor. The doctor says, we need to talk. We found something. It's bad. It's a tumor. That moment will absolutely turn his life upside down. That moment rocks us. That moment stuns us. That moment disorients us. We can just see our lives in absolute disarray. All sorts of questions and fears emerge in that moment. But that could be a defining moment for us. We have a choice. In that moment, will we spiral into anger, bitterness, or resentment? Or will we plead with our Heavenly Father to give us the wisdom and the courage to use this next season of our life to advance His Gospel? Can we encourage others in face of difficult circumstances? Can others see Jesus through us as we travel through that extraordinary set of circumstances. For some of us, suffering comes in the form of a fractured relationship. Families fracture. Marriages break down. We hit turbulence in our work relationships. We hit turbulence with friends. We even hit turbulence with fellow churchgoers. The question in those moments is, how are we going to respond in the face of relational conflict. We have a choice. What are we going to do when the relationship breaks? What are we going to do when we hit fractures and turbulence in our relationships? This could be a defining moment for us. We can go down the road of gossip. We can go down the road of judgment. We can get really dark in our hearts and we can abandon people. 
Or we can plead with God to advance the gospel in us and to use that moment to bring restoration and healing. What if that is an opportunity for God to give us wisdom, grace, and mercy to step into that relationship and bring healing? What if he wants to advance the gospel in us and through us? And still for some of us, it may be a season of unemployment. It may be a season of financial hardship. Every walk to the mailbox is filled with anxiety and it's riddled with fear. In that moment, we have a choice. This could be a defining moment for us. As we try to think through how we're going to take care of our financial responsibilities, how we're going to find a job, what if God wants to use this moment to advance his gospel? And there's a couple things that can happen in a season of unemployment, in a season of financial shortfall. One of them is complaint. We can begin to direct our complaints towards God. You can't take care of me. You don't know how to take care of me. I don't understand why you're not taking care of me. And those are all fair questions. And those are questions he can take. But we can't stay there. And then our complaints can get directed outward. Why don't we have what they have? Why don't I get to do what they get to do? Why don't you take care of me the way you take care of them? And this could be a defining moment for us. What if God wants to use this to build in us a new sense, a new level of trust and dependence in Him? What if God wants to advance the gospel in us, through us, and out to others? Suffering, hardship, and difficult circumstances have a way of producing complaint, bitterness, resentment, and abandonment. But they don't have to. Check out what Paul says next. Back to chapter 4, verse 13. Paul has just said, uh, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this incredible thing, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. For Paul, he understood that God will give him the resources to cope with hardship. And Paul could be content traveling through any hardship, any suffering, any difficult circumstances because God gave him the resources to do so. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But unfortunately, I have heard this verse misused on so many occasions. I've heard this verse used to say, if I want to be an astronaut, I can do all things through Christ. If I want to be a rock star, I can do all things through Christ. If I want to be a movie star, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But that's not what Paul's saying here. That's not the context of this verse. The context is that when you're going through significant hardship, difficult circumstances, extreme suffering, that God will give us the resources to travel through that hardship and be an encouragement to others. And others will see Him through us. Now the danger here is that we will only see God's hand if He delivers us from our circumstance. But that's not what Paul teaches. And it's in these moments when we are desperately in need of a glimpse of the cross. 
The cross reminds us what Jesus did on our behalf. The cross reminds us that Jesus under the planet in the form of a man. He went to the cross on our behalf. He was pinned to a cross. He was crucified. He was buried. But then on the third day, he was resurrected. And when we catch a glimpse of the cross, when we're going through difficult circumstances, when we're suffering great hardship, when we don't understand, when we ask questions, when we catch a glimpse of the cross, when we're looking at the cross, we're also catching a glimpse of the empty tomb. Which means that there's opportunity for resurrection all around us. And that's what Paul is trying to teach the church at Philippi here. I love this passage. I love what Paul's doing here. This is Paul pastoring his congregation. Paul is deeply in love with the church at Philippi. Paul's not standing on a soapbox. Paul's not off in an ivory tower somewhere spouting off doctrine. He is deeply in love with this church at Philippi and he wants to see them persevere through their faith. He wants to see them finish their faith well. And I brought an image to kind of help us understand what Paul is doing here. Uh, every week at my church, we have this moment in our services where we, where we give gifts. And I will come to the platform and I will say something like, uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And they're going to pass baskets. And this is our opportunity to give gifts. And I'll say something to the effect of, God so graciously gives to us. He gives us our food on the table. He puts gas in our cars. He puts roofs over our head. He gives us our jobs. He gives us our cars. He gives us our lives. And this is our opportunity to give back to Him. And then we'll pass the baskets and we have this very sacred moment at our service where we give where we give gifts. So my question for us this morning, what if we put ourselves in the basket? What if we said, okay, God, whatever you want from me, whatever you need from me, as long as it advances the gospel, what do you need from me? I'm yours. What are you asking from me today? What if we were to say something like, dear Lord, because of what you've done on my behalf, because you came here in the form of Jesus Christ, you saved me from my sins. I'm putting myself in the basket and I'm giving myself to you to use however you want to. What if we put ourselves in the basket? The question is how? How was Paul able to put himself in the basket? And how are you and I able to put ourselves in the basket? I think Paul knew that it was very easy for his heart to drift away from God. And I think there were three important things that Paul cultivated in his life to ensure that he stayed close to God during hardship. And I think we can follow his lead on this. The first thing is, is Scripture. One of the most fascinating verses I've ever read is where Paul says to Timothy, he's giving instructions to a young pastor, and Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's some wonderful things that we learn about Scripture in that verse. 
we learn that Scripture is important for teaching. That Scripture is important for helping us understand who God is, His character. We understand His story. And we understand how deeply He loves us and how much He wants to know us and be in relationship with us. And we need pastors and teachers who remind us quite frequently of who God is and what His ways are and how He wants us to live. And then Paul would say that Scripture is useful for rebuking. Paul knows, you and I know, that it's very easy to make disobedient choices. It's very easy to make sinful choices. And we need pastors, teachers, friends, family to graciously step into our lives, lovingly step into our lives, and rebuke us. You can't go down this path that leads to destruction. Come back to the path that leads to the way, the truth, and the life. We need people to rebuke us. And Paul would say something similar when he'd say Scripture is useful for correcting. I think sometimes we misunderstand the Bible. I think sometimes we misunderstand the intent of what is taught in the Bible. And we need pastors and teachers who correct misinformed doctrine. Uh, We need pastors and teachers who understand how the Scriptures work, uh, what books are all about, um, how the books function, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We need pastors and teachers who can do that. And then Paul would finally say, Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. And what that indicates to you and I is that it's absolutely possible to build a holy life. It is possible to put a life of obedience together, to cultivate a life of obedience and imitate our Creator. Paul would say, if you're going to endure hardship, suffering, difficult circumstances, Scripture needs to be an extremely important part of your life. I think the second thing that Paul would say is prayer. I think Paul knew and was very dependent on God on a daily basis to know Him and to be known by Him. I think Paul made very basic requests. Give me the courage, give me the wisdom, give me the mercy, give me the grace. As I move deeper and deeper into the, to the way of Jesus, the longer I follow Him, the more important praying Scripture comes to me, becomes to me. There are days when I wake up and I feel like I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There are days when I know I have some very difficult meetings in front of me. I have some very difficult conversations I have to have and I don't know how they're going to turn out. I don't know if they're going to turn out well. But then I can say something like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they guide me. God, you're going to give me the wisdom, you're going to give me the grace, and you're going to help me, you're going to lead me through those difficult circumstances, through those difficult conversations. There are moments when I simply just utter, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today your kingdom come. Today, Lord, as I step out of my house, may I take your kingdom with me. Help me expand your kingdom. And lead me not into temptation. Protect my heart today, Lord. There's too much at stake. Help me obey. Help me remain obedient. And then there are moments where people don't respond the way I want them to. And so I will pray a quick prayer. Lord, give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Help me expand 
your kingdom. I think Paul would say that if we're going to endure hardship, difficult circumstances, and extreme suffering, we need to have a rich prayer life. And I think the last thing Paul would say is is generosity. When we read the scriptures and when we pray, it takes the focus exclusively off us and puts it exclusively on Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul addressed this earlier in this letter. Check out this... um, One of the things Paul says in chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Paul would say, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Paul is teaching us here is that even Jesus Christ himself did not come to be served, but even Jesus put himself in the offering basket and said, okay, Father, whatever you need from me, whatever you want from me, I'm putting myself in the offering basket. I am yours to do with however you please. And that's what we get to do. We get to imitate Jesus. We get to step in line behind him and ask him, How do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to serve? And Jesus, being the very gracious leader that he is, will give us the wisdom to use our resources, our time, and our energy to serve him and serve others. I think Paul would say, if you're going to endure hardship, difficult circumstances, and suffering, we need to serve. Scripture, prayer, and serving. As we close our time, I just want to circle back to one last thing. Uh, One of the most important things Paul says. Back to chapter 4, that closing verse in 13 of this section. He says, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I I think Paul saw, saw something in suffering. I think Paul saw opportunity. I think Paul saw opportunity for the gospel to advance. And that's why he was able to endure those chains. It's why he was able to endure Roman guards, suffocating heat in the the summertime, frigid cold in the wintertime. Because he put himself in the offering basket and he said, Dear Lord, if this advances your gospel, I am willing to do anything. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and then uh, I think we're going to sing another song. Father God, uh, we could not be more grateful for your servant Paul. Father, we thank you for the gift that he's been to us. We thank you for his encouragement. We thank you for his contentment. We thank you for how he modeled contentment. We thank you that uh, as he was chained to a floor, whether he was chained to a wall or chained to a Roman guard, when he was in that jail cell, he suffered in such a way that he was an encouragement to others, and people saw you through him. And Father, I would plead for us here today, for my brothers and sisters and myself, that whether we're coming out of a season of suffering, entering a season of suffering, or whether we're in a season of suffering, that everyone around us will be encouraged, that everyone around us would see you, and that you would give us the privilege of advancing your gospel.
Amen.